I remember it being very stressful when I first started, you know, while I was in school, dealing with school and working. I wasn't working a crazy amount of hours, but something that really stands out is I was kind of having a hard time relating to my peers that were not in nursing because I was getting a lot of exposure to people who were in life and death situations or who were in really bad shape. And, you know, other 20-year-olds around me were not. From the cubicle to the lab, the studio to the war room, climbing the corporate ladder or joining a scrappy startup, experience a day in the life of the jobs you want. This is the Experience a Day in the Life podcast. We interview professionals, entrepreneurs, and recent grads about what a day is actually like on the job, hour by hour, or as we like to call it, they're a diddle, spelled A-D-I-T-L, which stands for a day in the life. This podcast will inspire you to gain experience beyond the classroom and launch a career of your own. We're your hosts, Chris DeBeau and Matt Poe. Welcome to part two in the two-part nursing MS series. In part one, we went through hour by hour in a day in Jennifer Abate's life as an NYU senior staff nurse. In this episode, we'll take you through Jennifer's career journey so you know what skills and experience are necessary to land a job as a nurse. Jennifer overcame quote unquote the nightmares and fears of being a nurse from her ER and ICU experiences to help patients to the best of her ability. Let's learn how she did it so you can too. Jennifer attended Seton Hall University in New Jersey and had a completely different career directive when she was first starting out. Yeah. So funny story. Nursing wasn't my first major. Oh, yeah. What was it? International relations. It's getting juicy. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So I love this podcast because I myself had been in the same situation. I thought international relations. This is great. You can help people on a large scale, learn languages, learn about policy and you know, I can help change health policy internationally. I thought, this is amazing. I got into it and I thought, I don't want to be like every other woman in my family who's a nurse. That's, you know, that's not me. I have all these thoughts. And um, while I was in school, I realized, wow, I really am meant to be a nurse. What was that realization like? When did? So I was in IR and most of the students were very political. And I realized that I didn't know as much about politics as I thought I did. They probably don't either, honestly. <laughs> yeah, <gonna> <laughs> probably not. <laughs> yeah. And I, I felt really stupid around these kids who were like very global. A lot of them were, they had dual citizenship in other countries. Their parents would raise them going to these different countries. And I was like, wow. This isn't what I know. I grew up talking medicine in my house. You know, pretty much that was always the dinner table conversation. And I always, of course, looked up to my mother. So one day I was talking to a guidance counselor at at Seton Hall and we were talking and she's like, you know, sometimes we go for things and we don't realize that we're trying to be just like somebody that we think is our role model. And I was like, wow, you're right. And I tried a nursing class and I loved it. And I was like, this is what I need to do. When we spoke on the phone, I'd asked you why you became a nurse, even though the stakes are high and that there's tons that go unnoticed or thankless. And you told me what, you know, I expected you to say was that you wanted to help people. But could you also talk about what else made you? Yes. So, of course, I like to help people. I think all nurses would say that. But 
I found from a younger age that when I was speaking to friends, they would confide in me about really personal things that weren't always a comfortable topic. I was always that go-to person. Um, I don't know how detailed you guys want me to get. No, go, go for it. <laughs> go as detailed as you um, want to get. <laughs> so I think like any of my friends that would listen to this now would would just die laughing when they hear me say like, Jenny, I have diarrhea. Do you have any medicine? On you? <laughs> you know, from like a young age in junior high, throughout high school, throughout college. I mean, I think I was always the go-to friend. It was very comfortable to me. And I got a lot out of knowing that I made them feel better and I was okay with talking about it. It was very comfortable to me. I'm sure a lot of people are hesitant to make the major or program switch with the fear of not graduating on time, as if it's the end of the world when you don't graduate in four years. But anyway, Jennifer is proof that there's no shame in doing that, especially if there's a career you know you want to pursue. Jennifer told us the nursing program she attended was structured like this. The first year, you're taking your school's core requirements and you start mixing in the nursing classes right from the get-go, like anatomy, physiology, microbiology, chemistry, etc. You get the point. Then in your third and fourth year, you'll actually start doing clinical as well as classroom courses. To graduate, you need at least a B average at Seton Hall, and that's pretty standard across the board at other nursing programs. You told me doing nursing school, you not only had to learn how to physically be a nurse, but also learn to get over the fears of being a nurse. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about like your emotional and mental state like at that point? I remember it being very stressful when I first started, you know, while I was in school, dealing with school and working. I wasn't working a crazy amount of hours, but I also something that really stands out is I was kind of having a hard time relating to my peers that were not in nursing because I was getting a lot of exposure to people who were in life and death situations or who were in really bad shape. And, you know, other 20 year olds around me were not. And they, you know, when I had to be at work, I had to be professional and I had to act accordingly to my job position. And so I remember I kind of had a lot of the same feeling as my fellow nursing students because we kind of all experienced that. And I think that's why we were all pretty close in school. And yeah, like sometimes we're very emotional because you were faced with things maybe you were never exposed to. You know, unfortunately, some people, they grow up with a lot of tragedy in their lives. So that's normal for them. I wasn't one of those people. So it was it was a big culture shock for me, for sure. During her last two years of nursing school, Jennifer worked at Newark Beth Israel Medical Center as a unit clerk and a patient transport. Your first contact with live patients, real humans. What, what, you were a patient transport. What, what does that mean? What were you doing? What was that transition like? So while I was in nursing school, I had one of my roommates was working at a local hospital in Newark, New Jersey. And they said, we need staff. We need nursing students. So do you have any friends? So she was like, hey, they're they're hiring. Do you want to come to the hospital and get some experience? So I said, yeah, of course. So I worked for a short time um, as a unit clerk, which is a person who kind of does the administrative work on the units in the hospitals. So they answer the phones. They help you with the charts. They're a really, really helpful person when you're a nurse. Um, So you learn a lot because you have to transcribe doctor's orders and um, 
you're, you're looking through things all day long. You're kind of helping to alert the nurses there's new orders. So I thought that was great. But then this transport job opened where I could actually like really touch patients. And that's what I really wanted to do was get in there. So I started working as a transporter. You can also call that patient transport or orderly. And I would transport patients all throughout the hospital to different places. So let's say they were in the emergency room and they needed an x-ray, I would take them over to x-ray. Sometimes that was in a wheelchair and sometimes it was in a stretcher and I would do it by myself. So I was in really good shape at the time. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. The next job was to be an ER tech. How'd you go about getting that job? So I had been working in the hospital as this patient transport, and I was with the nurses all the time because I just wanted to be one of them so bad. One of the nurse managers, who was my favorite, Vela, she was like, all right, honey, as soon as you get some time in clinical, you can you can be a tech, which to be a tech was like the best thing because you would draw blood and do EKGs and help people and clean them and pretty much, it, pretty much a nurse's assistant, everything you could do. So working at the hospital, you were pretty exposed to like the pretty notoriously difficult bureaucracy within a hospital, you know, between like the relationships between doctors, uh, physicians, assistants, nurses. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you kind of navigated the seemingly like pretty political landscape terrain, I guess? Yeah. So I would say the best thing to do is to do your work and stay out of politics as much as you can when you're at work. I would say that there are some situations where nurses and doctors, maybe they don't agree on a situation, but the best thing to do is to keep it professional and just give the facts. Don't get emotional. I think that's always the best thing to do. Once Jennifer graduated from nursing school, it was time for her to take the NCLEX, or the National Council Licensure Examination which is notoriously hard, by the way. She had to pass the test before she could work anywhere as a nurse, and obviously she did pass, which she told us was all thanks to her prep at Seton Hall. I thought they did an excellent job at preparing us because I felt like compared to other people I knew in my age range that didn't go to Seton Hall, some of them, I think they had a harder time on the NCLEX Mm -hmm. versus a lot of my friends that I was in school with. We all seemed to... We felt we were prepared cool. for the test. I don't want to say it was easy because that is not that is not <laughs> true. That would that would be crazy for me to say. All right. So now you're all licensed up, obviously, and graduated, <laughs> and uh, you immediately get a full time position mm-hmm. at uh, the ER at the same hospital, mm-hmm. right? How did you turn this, I guess, internship experience into a full time job? I made it very clear through everybody that I worked with that I wanted to be an ER nurse. And I wanted to work there. I really took it very seriously and I was very responsible about a lot of things because I wanted them to look at me like I was a serious candidate. And I think that that's what differentiated me from another person who had been working as an ER tech at the time who did not end up getting hired as a nurse when they passed the NCLEX. They made you interview for that as well then? I guess. They did. They did make, <laughs> they took that one more seriously. Yes. I had a real interview. I had to speak to the HR department and send in an application and they contacted me. I interviewed with HR and then the nurse manager set up an appointment time and for me to come in and I had to interview with all the nurse managers and the director and They took it really seriously. I've noticed with any interview I've had with nurses, they want to know how you handle pressure and what you're going to do in a situation when 
you might not know what to do. They want to make sure you're not dangerous. How did your responsibilities change, though, from being an ER tech to now an ER nurse? Well, I went from having to do tasks for different nurses with no responsibility. My responsibility was just, you know, do that task to now if something happens to the patient, I'm the one who has to be able to identify it because the doctors can't keep track of every patient in the ER. You know, a lot of people will say, well, that's why the doctors are there. But the doctors aren't there to keep track and watch the status. They they can't. There's just not enough of them. So that's your job is to make sure that the patient is alive and that something's Very not <laughs> happening that you missed. You know, you want to make sure you're really keeping an eye on them. I remember you saying you had nightmares. Like, Oh, yeah. What was that? So when I became a nurse and I was working in the ER, I had nightmares like every night for a year. Straight. Wow. <laughs> Maybe not every night, but yeah. I had I had the nightmares as all the other nurses called it and they would kind of laugh and say, like, don't worry, it's gonna get better. We all we've oh, all been sheesh. there before. You just you run the whole shift in your mind all night long. Speaking of nightmares, this one's not as intense, but still something to confront. There's an intra-hospital rivalry going on between the ICU nurses and the ER nurses. Jennifer explains why they've got a little bit of beef with one another. That is a thing. So when you're an ER nurse, the last thing you want to do is bring a patient upstairs to the ICU. I just remember not wanting to go upstairs to the ICU. Those (laughs) nurses were so scary. They want you to have your bed perfect. The patient better be clean and there better not be any blood work or medications pending. So that's pretty stressful. And, you know, when you're an ER nurse, you have a million patients at once. You're just trying to keep everybody stable. You're not there to prevent things from happening. So it's a very different mindset, and that can be very scary when you're new. One skill that you learned in this experience in the ER? Multitasking and just don't wait to do something if you can do it right now because something can come in the door and you are that that task is you're not getting to it. So how can you talk a little bit about how you prioritize your tasks mm-hmm. like a little bit in in that high stress environment when there's so many critical things to do at once? So a big part of this comes when you're in training and you're in orientation when you're a new nurse. You want to always focus on the most critical situation and what needs to be addressed right now. And then you work your way down. Don't focus on charting something that you can chart in an hour if patient's blood pressure is dropping. So that's kind of how I always good rule of thumb. After a few years in the ER, Jennifer was ready for a new challenge and she found it right upstairs in the same hospital. And I thought, you know, I can take care of critical patients down here and I take care of a lot of patients at once. So I want to try the ICU out. I can I can totally do this. <laughs> and then I got upstairs and I was like, oh, wow, there's a reason these nurses only have two or three patients at most. There's just so many things going on with these people. Your job switches from not just keeping them alive, but actually preventing events from occurring. So instead of sitting around and you look at the labs and you notice that the potassium's low, you know, moving on to the next task um, in the ICU, your job would be to go and make sure the doctors are aware and get the potassium going so that the patient doesn't have an arrhythmia. Downstairs in the ER, you don't really have a lot of time to do things like that because you have so many patients. So you notice when the patient's in an arrhythmia. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Sometimes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That paints a picture. Yes. You're like, oh, ooh, they're having some arrhythmias. Let's check electrolytes. 
versus in the ICU, you already checked them. They're already corrected. So what do they look like when... So it could be different, but let's say you have too much potassium, you Uh can start having peak T waves. So when you're looking at an EKG strip, it's kind of like that end of the EKG part of it kind of goes up higher than it's supposed to. And if your potassium is too high, you can have a cardiac arrest because your heart stops. The transition between ER, like was that, was just because the ER was really intense, you'd said that you had nightmares like working there, was it this like kind of the same rough on your mental? The nightmares came back. Yeah, they did. They did, they did. Yeah, I was, I was, um, I had a lot of anxiety when I first started in the CCU. I remember thinking, wow, I have like way too much responsibility for one person. You know, like I can't, um, how am I supposed to do this? They're, they're asking so much, but you learn. And not to say like, obviously all patients should be prioritized, but when you have less patients and you have to do more with that one patient, you kind of like, I would imagine have like a little bit more of like an emotional, like attachment to them. So I can imagine that can be difficult, especially if. Yeah. And some of them, they stay on the unit for months and you really get to know them, their families, you know, their medical chart really well, you know, a lot of little things about them. So yeah, you definitely get attached to some of them. Most of them. Yeah. And then, so, but, so you really have to like compartmentalize, like. So I'm not good at doing this. There there are some people that are really good and they leave what happened at work at work. I'm not one of those people. So I often will be known to bring things home with me or think about it in my car ride home. So I think that that's a skill I'm still learning. But uh, I know a lot of people who I would say feel the same way. What are, what are some things that you try to get your mind off of it? Music, exercising, talking about it with, you know, a friend or family member if I can. And that typically helps to kind of like release it. Jennifer worked in the ICU full time until she got the job she has now at NYU. You can learn more about that job in part one of this series, but she still does work at the Newark Hospital per diem or per day in the ICU at least once a month or whenever they need her. Let's learn about what she does on the days that she works at the ICU, almost like a mini diddle in the experience episode. So that would entail waking up probably by 5.30 in the morning, um, getting going, getting coffee. And so you want to get to the hospital and be ready to sit down and get report from the night nurse by 7 a.m. because that nurse wants to go home. Totally. And you get it. They're exhausted. (laughs) So you try to get there. Um, Before that, you just swing by where the charge nurse is sitting, look at your assignment. They usually have it on a little chart, what your assignment is for the day. So you get your assignment, you find the night nurses who had your patients, and you start with shift report, and you get a very detailed report of the patients that you have. They go through a head-to-toe assessment, the medications they're on, past medical history, their status throughout the night. I mean, it's very detailed. It takes us a long time. Then you would go into the room, do a bedside report. You kind of check everything with the night nurse and the patient is awake. You also will introduce yourself at that point and kind of say goodbye and just ask them if they need anything while we're doing report. And so that kind of goes on. That can go till eight o'clock in the morning, 8.30. And then you start. So typically during the day, you want to make sure you have vitals on patients at least every hour and you're doing a full head to toe assessment on them at least every four. Blood pressure, heart rate, respirations, oxygen, saturation, um, 
pain level, just making sure they're okay. You you generally want to do that and you want to do a really good assessment of them at least every four hours. Um, but that's pending that they're stable and that there's nothing else crucial going on that you really have to watch for throughout the day. And you kind of keep in that pattern of every hour, every four hours. You're turning them every two. You're feeding them if they need assistance, giving them medications. While this is all happening, you're ensuring that every little thing about them is where it's supposed to be. Do you ever like sit sit and chat with them for like a while? Oh, yeah, or, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If they're awake, um, I try to do my charting in the room with them because it's kind of like they're they don't have to be alone and you get to know them and you're also doing your work. So you're not just not doing anything. You're making use of the time. Um, so now you are a senior staff nurse. Can you talk about why you made that jump, and then how you got yourself involved in a university hospital. So someone in my family has MS, so that kind of piqued my interest. And a nurse that was working there said, hey, they have an opening, and I think that you'd be really great fit for it. And it's kind of different. It's something you've never done before. Are you interested? I said, yeah, definitely. I, I want to try something new. And so I interviewed, and I thought it was really interesting, and then I started and yeah, it's been a very different situation because it's a more academic environment. Jennifer loves her job at NYU for many reasons, and one of them is the opportunity to study there for her master's degree. She enrolled in the nurse practitioner program, specializing as a family nurse practitioner, and plans to graduate in 2021. Can you tell us about why you decided to go back into school? Yeah. So I, I love my job. I have amazing nurses and coworkers at it. Doctor that I work under is just fantastic. She teaches us all the time. I work with this nurse practitioner who's amazing. And I learn so much from them all the time. And it's in a different way, very active in the planning for the patient. And I kind of thought... You know, I've been doing this for a while now. I've been a nurse for over eight years, and I, I'm, I think I'm ready to move on to more of a provider role. So that's kind of what made me decide. A nurse practitioner, you know, a lot of people just think it's a nurse. It's a different type of a nurse, but it's a little different because you are yourself a practitioner, but we take on a more holistic approach versus doctors. And... There's a lot of training that goes in, into it, but at the end, different states have different rules. But um, in New York State, you can write prescriptions, you can practice pretty independently. Um, and I believe there's a little bit more autonomy than in a physician assistant program. Okay. Um, I don't know a lot about them, but I just, if that's something that somebody is thinking of, that might be something to consider and keep in mind. But um, being an NP is really more about looking at the patient as a whole and thinking about everything about them holistically. It's not just, oh, here, let me write you a script for this. It's why do you have this issue? And let's look at if we can fix that without giving you a medication. But I can work in a setting that would allow me to see patients similarly to a doctor. Usually it's with a doctor. You would see them and kind of present the case to them and go over it together and make a plan. And sometimes it's you have a lot of autonomy where you see patients by yourself and they see the doctor maybe once a year and they see you the other times during the year, but you essentially manage the patient and it can be in all different types of settings. So the program that I'm in now is for family and it's going to have a special focus with holistic treatments. So that's kind of my goal is to become boarded in the family 
in the primary setting. So actually not working in a hospital, I would be more trying to prevent you from going into the hospital. Now, you obviously waited to go back to school. Mm -hmm. Do some students go right from the bachelor's to the master's and and become a nurse practitioner after eight years or? Yeah. um, Some people go straight through school, Mm -hmm. right to a nurse practitioner. I don't know if all programs allow you to do that. I think some programs, they want you to have at least a year experience as a nurse first. That's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Honestly, I think that that's the best thing to do because once you're a nurse practitioner, you're responsible for treating a patient. And if you don't have a lot of background clinical knowledge, it can be challenging. But that doesn't mean that somebody can't go straight through school and be an amazing nurse practitioner. Um, but for me personally, I, I, I think it helped me because I kind of have an, an understanding of how things work. So what would you tell your 18-year-old self today? I would say don't be afraid of trying everything and just doing it and really not caring what other people think. That wraps up part two in the Nursing MS series. Huge thanks to Jennifer Abate for sharing her wisdom throughout this experience, A Day in the Life series. If you haven't already, be sure to listen to part one in this series to experience a day in the life of an NYU senior staff nurse. So they say you can't get a job without experience, but need experience to get the job. But luckily, we have quite the experience. You can join our team and experience a day in the life of the jobs you want by applying to be a student editor. Regardless of your major or amount of experience, this is the perfect stepping stone into any internship or career. Find more info and sign up at xadiddle.com slash students. That's x-a-d-i-t-l dot com slash students. Thanks for listening. Head over to exadiddle.com. That's X-A-D-I-T-L.com. There you can find the show notes for this series and more A Day in the Life articles. And you can get to know us and our guests more by joining our communities on social media. Follow at exadiddle on Instagram and on LinkedIn by searching for Krista Bow and Matt with one T Poe. If you learned something in this episode, please take some time to help our mission by leaving a positive rating and review of the show. Each week, we bring you a new interview series with guests from different jobs and different industries. In each series, we'll live a specific day in the life, hour by hour, and experience their career journey. So don't forget to subscribe.